You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. I have Bruno Aziza, Group Vice President of AI, Data, and Analytics at Oracle. And the website's oracle.com. Large corporation, been around a very long time. So, Bruno, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so what, what do you do as uh, in your position that looks at AI at Oracle? What kind of uh, projects are you working on? Well, thank you, and thanks for having me, and thanks for your listeners to, to take time for us. I'm brand new to the company. I, I joined uh, probably seven, eight months ago, and uh, I have worked in the data analytics uh, space for the last 25 years or so, and I worked at very small companies uh, that have helped launch, mid-sized companies that like business objects that some of your listeners might know uh, that went public and had a great uh, a great run, and, and worked at Microsoft as well. And so... I joined here to help the company essentially uh, on a few fronts. The first one is customer centricity. My team spends a lot of time with customers to understand how we can help them um, not just simplify their relationship with Oracle, but also innovate at scale with data analytics and AI. And so we spend a lot of time with that. We spend a lot of time with partners as well, because as you, as you know, partners are an essential component for our success. They uh, help customers deploy and they help uh, customers uh, be successful and train their people. And then finally, uh, analysts like Gartner and Forrester and many others who we work with in order to understand the customers that we don't talk to. Uh, analysts are very helpful in giving us a broader perspective than the, the perspective we might have into maybe just the customer for or the Oracle ecosystem. So that's what we focus on, customers, partners, and analysts. Yeah, we were talking offline briefly and you said you don't call AI artificial intelligence. You call it something else. Can you go into that again? I thought yeah, it was really interesting. So, so the acronym of AI you know, stands for artificial intelligence, as many of your listeners must know. But uh, you know, what we've noticed talking to customers is the best way to get value from AI is to think about the acronym as applied and invisible. And, and here's what I mean by that. Uh, you know, even though there's a lot of hype around AI and AI capabilities and so forth, it, it really needs to connect to the value that it provides to your business people and their business process uh, that they're involved in in order to uh, impact your bottom line. And so applied is, is a, a way to think about that, is a way to think about what augmented capabilities can I provide my end users so it applies to their daily life, their daily workflow, and et cetera. And then invisible refers to this idea that, you know, if I told you what index in the database you're using, you know, how would that help you um, innovate? 
it wouldn't, right? And so I think we also have to realize that maybe sometimes we're over-explaining AI, and the reality is that you get the most value from AI when it's actually invisible, when it's doing a pr- or, or executing tasks for you uh, that you don't have to execute anymore. And so this concept of invisible resonates well with our customers. It's, um, since you work with customers a lot, I think that's great. You're not just in your ivory tower you know, innovating. How do customers perceive, I don't know, AI, data analytics, et cetera, you know, it's being sold to them as, you know, gain powerful insights from, from AI and from your database, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But I would think it would take a lot of handholding and instruction with customers. Like, what do you see as the important things that need to go on so that companies can use AI? Do they even know how to use it? Well, so, you know, the customers that we work with, we have a unique, um, I guess, access or look into the the market because we have essentially half a billion customers. So we, we have the largest, we have the smallest, we have uh, a wide spectrum of customers we deal with. And so they're all at their different level of maturity when it comes to the cloud, when it comes to data analytics and, and AI for sure. But in general, there are a few themes that are coming together. I think the first one is this idea that, you know, there's no question that data analytics and AI are, are number one priority for any business. And they realize that even though they might ship products, the data they have and the way they use the data is their competitive advantage. So I think everybody's on the same page with that. I think the issue beyond that is how do you get to value and innovation faster than the next company? Sometimes it's a company that's not even in your industry that's going to come and disrupt you. And there it's what does the orchestration look like? You know, I think about a company like NHS, for instance, that has saved a billion and a half using data more appropriately, using analytics and, and uh, uh, predictive analytics in order to detect fraud. And so it, you might assume that a company like that has thousands of developers and thousands of database administrators. In fact, Nina, who is the chief data officer there, started this initiative with two DBAs and one data scientist. And so, you know, it's this concept of how can I have a big impact with a small team that they're interested in looking at. They also are interested in how do I avoid the failures of the past? You know, over the last 30 years, the data and analytics world has gone through at least two transformations. You know, the first one was highly focused on a few set of primarily IT-centric resources, and it created a bottleneck for access to value to the business. And so then we went off and bought tools that were primarily desktop-centric and that would equip business users and business analysts uh, to build dashboards and use data and, and, and try and predict the future, if you will. This third area that we're in is a cloud-first, AI-first, mobile-first area, which really disrupts the, 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 the previous two phases of this industry. So you really have to reinvent the way you think about how you're deploying uh, capabilities out to users. And, and one in particular that I think is particularly disruptive is the answer is not going to be hiring more data scientists. The answer is going to be buying software that might be more integrated, that might be more augmented, that might be more collaborative, so the people you have today at your company can do their job faster and better. And that's hard because the last two phases of our industry was about hiring more technical people, hiring more data scientists, or training people that might be line of business folks to become data scientists, which, as you you might know, didn't really work out so much. Yeah, but who's going to make the tools that will help people do their job more efficiently? Who's going to create all these AI tools 
I mean, I know now there's there's libraries starting to come about and you know standard algorithms and things like that, but uh, it seems like there's still a ton of people needed to get this going. Well, the you know you know I won't talk for the other vendors in, in their approach, but I think you're right by pointing out the fact that if the approach is a set of tools in the kitchen sink and good luck assembling them, uh, it's going to be fairly challenging to get to um, value quickly. Uh, the way we think about the market is it's the value of integrated solution uh, to business users that uh, will generate value faster. I'll, I'll just give you um, a simple use case, a simple example. Today, uh, uh, data analysts spend about 80% of their time preparing data for analysis, just preparing data for analysis. That means gathering the data, cleaning the data, protecting the data, um, and that's a big part of the data pipeline, and that's before any of that data can actually be put in front of a business user. Uh, our approach has been that we can automatically take your data, clean it, prepare it, secure it if we identify that this is data that needs to be secured, for instance, credit card numbers, social security information, etc. We don't really need uh, to involve humans in that task. One, it's taking a very long time to do that. Two, it's error prone. And then three, frankly, those business analysts are not here. That's not really tapping into their passion. So this entire process of how do I make your data secure and ready for analysis, we want to cut that down through augmented capabilities to no time at all. Second, uh, and by the way, that's the result of AI being applied. Second, once I have this information, how do I put it in front of business users? Well, in the past, you have to have an army of business analysts that understand a traditional desktop and download tool where you download the data to your desktop and do some great dashboards. Uh, our approach is, well, now that I understand your data, what if I created those dashboards automatically for you? Um, and again, that's the result of artificial intelligence, basically understanding the data, understanding the, the lineage of this data, understanding the business requirements and creating those dashboards. So then you can use your people uh, to ask more questions, uh, question the data a little bit more, and maybe uh, ask bigger questions as well. And so this example I just like well, quick question. Is so he saying like, I guess in a low level, you'd have canned reports, you know, uh, I don't know, sales by month, that kind of thing. Sure. But are you saying that you'd want to actually suggest maybe more sophisticated analyses and have them at, at the ready for Absolutely. users that may, they don't think of? You know? Absolutely, we're ready to do that. So let's take an example of, um, you know, the number one cost in any organization is probably their people and and losing. Uh, the best people is, is often a problem. So it's, that's attrition. And so what if I could tell you if that if you gave me your HR data, I could tell you the cause of that attrition and I could present you with the dashboard that not only would analyze that, would recommend the questions you need to ask and probably would translate these dashboards into reports that is text that you can share across your company. Um, we do that today. And attrition is one problem, but you can think about the marketing pipeline and conversions. Why are certain things converting better than others? You know, questions that we know businesses are asking them uh, already, but the, the way to get there has been so inefficient that they can't get to the answer. And so if we can eliminate the, what you might call the oxygen, the, the oxygen need, which is we all need to breathe and there's some questions your people absolutely need to have answers to, then we're creating this space where they can now use the information that, by the way, they should have already, but they don't have it, uh, to ask more innovative questions, bigger questions. So ultimately, you can innovate, and then you can improve your, your bottom line. 
this is really the biggest challenge our industry has is we have a lot of data, but very little of the insights actually make it to the people that can make the decision. And if we can accelerate that, we'll all become better companies and we'll, we'll get better results. So why is that? What, what creates that dynamic? Is that people just are overwhelmed with their data and they don't know what to do with it? Or is it that uh, just the nature of it needs to be pushed to them? Hey, look at this. Hey, look at that. And the analysis needs to be done for them so they don't have to think about it. I, I think there are, you know, I, I don't mean to be exhaustive in my analysis. I'm sure there's a lot of, of uh, errors I haven't encountered yet. But, but I think the themes that I've seen are related to a few factors. The, the first one is that uh, in order to have complete analysis, your data has to come from many different sources. And, and today, getting your hands on a larger array of, of information and standardizing it and making it ready for analysis is very complicated. And so if you think about the pipeline of, of, of data and, and, and getting to artificial intelligence, it's very broken today. It's, it's not integrated at all. Um, the, the second uh, aspect of the issues is around... Uh, how do you make this secure and cloud-ready so everyone can take advantage of the capabilities provided by the cloud to provide more analysis? A simple example is our models uh, in the cloud can run with more compute. We can put in more information and compute it faster so you can generate better results. And so, you know, historically that has been challenging because people have thought about the cloud as just a place where I could just store data and, and maybe process it for uh, temporal jobs, if you will. And then the third aspect of it is this idea that I think from a people management standpoint, we might have put too much pressure on regular people like you and I to have to produce the analysis before they can use it. You know, I'll just give you a, a simple example of applied AI in our mobile experience. You know, today, if you downloaded the day-by-day -day, uh, experience for analytics, uh, the, uh, the, the phone would know where you are it would know your calendar, it would know your preferences, and it would give you insights as you go about your day, depending on the meetings you have next. It would push at you insights that it knows you need, and it probably find insights that maybe you haven't even thought about asking <laughs> for. And so I think we have to shift that mentality, and we now have the technical capabilities to make it happen. There's also a timing aspect, right? You know, describing what I'm talking about today 10 years ago would have been particularly hard, and a lot of it is related to um, the availability of the cloud and the availability of those open uh, models that you're referring to. So uh, any particular insights or data analyses that you've seen in case studies where you thought the result was super instructive or really cool or the customer thought the same? Oh, there, there are many. In fact, um, as you know, we're preparing for Oracle Open World, and we have lots and lots of sessions that are extremely innovative. There is the example of GE, for instance, uh, which is uh, putting together a blockchain and, and autonomous data warehouse and Oracle Analytics in order to create a ledger. It's, it's really innovative, people putting these technologies together. There's the example of FedEx, the city of Las Vegas, and, and many other organizations that are thankfully you know, at the stage of maturity where they could push the envelope, if you, if you will, a little bit and uh, get more information to more people faster. I mean, another example is the example of uh, Riverbed. It's a company we'll, we'll have on stage on our solution keynote. It's a company that was uh, trying to get insights out to their salespeople, and they couldn't get 
to them because it required for people to get analysis and get services off of their desktop or the web. And they've deployed a mobile experience that gets data to folks uh, before they even get to the, to the meeting. Um, and it gets them in the format that they like, and it predicts when they're going to uh, run out of pipeline, and it creates pipeline for them based on the attributes of um, customers that they have. So you can imagine, you kind of have your, your own assistant making sure that the data's got your back, <laughs> if you will, uh, to enable you to win in the marketplace. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I have to say we're also working here at Oracle. We're in a unique situation where we're in the middle of a database world and the middle of an application world where we get to see large amounts of data that's securely stored in the cloud with large amount of folks using applications for their daily workflow. So we're, we're brought into those use cases that, you know, uh, maybe other vendors don't get to see. Maybe uh, one more use case that you think is uh, was pretty cool and instructive. You know, whatever you can say about it, I know you can't say too much. Well, you know, and some of them are stories that we're keeping for the event, but I'll, I'll give you maybe um, another one that I thought was interesting. This is uh, Skanska. It's a construction company, um, and that has a very large uh, data set. Uh, they have SQL Server data. They've got Oracle database data. They've got external data sets, and they were able to identify, you know, in construction, the issue is injuries. There's a huge liability when you're working on the project and you want to deliver it on time and on budget uh, when you have these unknowns. And they were able to correlate the particular user types and behaviors and the type of injuries they would get. So they provided, basically, they fixed their training in order to prevent the injuries before they occur. I know it's... Uh, it's kind of crazy cool. to think about that way, but we have a lot of those use cases where companies are, you know, it's kind of like um, they get to a point of certainty where, I mean, I like to call it, it's like Christmas, you know, you know it's going to happen on December 25th, so why don't you use the data to guide a path that's going to give you a, a good resolution. Another example is a company, Cecil in Italy, is able to build a set of algorithms that allows them to identify fraud before it occurs. You know, today you might have a credit card and they call you when fraud has been detected. What oh, if yeah. they deactivated the card before someone got their hands on your card and sent you a card ahead of that too? Um, you know, our fraud uh, systems today are very reactive. Um, and so here you have a company, again, it's not a very large company, but because they have the right technology and the right mindset, they're able to provide uh, analysis and algorithms that predict fraud before it occurs. It's really powerful. I like your example of the construction company. I can see if, um, I don't know, people that hang drywall, for some reason, they're getting all these um, particular injuries. So then you find the holes in their safety training protocol and you add on a special module just for them. And that should reduce their injuries. That's right. I think that's a really smart tool to have, something like that. That's great. Absolutely. And every industry listening here and has, has an example just like this. If you think about the areas of inefficiencies that you have throughout your day, I mean, you don't, we don't have to talk about just injuries, right? But you have to talk about, I mean, just think about meetings, for instance. What is the most efficient way to have a meeting about a topic to make sure the team gels together? You know, wouldn't that be beautiful if we had fewer meetings that were more efficient and we, we got more out of them? Um, and we can do that today. You know, we can analyze that data, we can analyze uh, emails, we can anal analyze follow-through. There's a lot of data that's available, but like I was saying earlier, because the pipeline to get the analysis out is so broken, we can't get to that data. And because we can't get to those insights, we can't improve our companies. 
Um, but luckily, I was going to give, give you an example of meetings. It'll be cool if you had a tool where you put in the meeting you want and all the different agenda items, and then the, the AI system suggests who should and shouldn't be party to those discussions because of their expertise or yeah. their participation in a certain project. And then it can sort the meeting in order. So certain people that don't have a lot of time, you, it can tell them you're scheduled for these 10 minutes only instead of sitting there for an hour. I mean, a meeting planning software like that would be like super, and it would let people know, like relevant people, based on what happened in the meeting, maybe it could take a transcript and look for keywords. I and mean, it could do all kinds of stuff just with the meetings, I'm, I'm thinking. Oh, absolutely. And what you're describing, I don't know if you read the book Principles by Ray Dalio, but he's describing how he's built this. This is a great book for your listeners. It's it's a big book, but uh, Ray Dalio runs the, the largest uh, hedge fund in, in the world, and um, he's a very famous guy, um, and his approach to data is, is very unique. And not only does he um, have a way to uh, analyze the decisions made in meetings, but he also has this concept he calls idea meritocracy, where he's able to basically change decisions based on where the idea about that decision came from. For instance, uh, I'm a French person that grew up in the south of France. You know, my opinions about food in the south of France might rank higher than someone that might be from a different geography that's never lived in France. I'm picking a stupid example here just to make, a, you know, kind of the point. But he's got it down to that level where a particular decision or a particular opinion about a decision would be weighted more so that you can get a better output. Um, and ultimately, I mean, the way to get there, we're not very far from that. We're not very far from being able to get there. Now, Ray Dalio is an exception, and, and he has a great book, and, and he also even has an app, I think, uh, that everyone should take a look at. But it's a good aspiration, I think, for all of us. There's one resource we cannot create, and it's time. And if we can save that, we can become a better uh, society, and we can create better companies. Has anyone tried to, um, I don't know, tune an AI so it makes decisions like someone makes decisions? I mean, could you make like a, a Ray Dalio-esque AI? <laughs> well, it, like, let's say you, you kind of know like he tends to be conservative and he tends to favor groups over this. I mean, you know, like, again, a, a, is there any sense or point of aligning an AI with a personality so that it kind of makes decisions in the spirit of how they would? I think, it, occur? I, I think this will be very hard in general. And I think, you know, if you read some of the, the theory on, on AI, there's a lot of scary stuff out there saying, oh, my gosh, the machines are going to completely replace humans. Um, you know, I, I don't see that happening. And, and, and the reason for that is if you step back from what the relationship between humans and machine has been and what it most likely will continue to be, is it, it goes off three uh, types of relationships. The, the first one is what you're describing, which is automation. And there are some tasks that are highly repetitive, uh, binary in nature, um, that have a large, and they're largely not nuanced, right? So a machine can learn a lot, but a machine, for a machine to get to judgment, it's, it's a particularly complicated um, path there. But automation clearly uh, is, it brings a lot of value. Um, the second relationship is augmentation, which is where the majority of the work is going to happen. Uh, think about it. Uh, as intellectual augmentation, just like we think about, um, you know, uh, augmented physical capabilities, like, you know, having a you know, prosthetic arm or anything like that. When something's missing, we have now technology that can add to it. 
And certainly data AI, as from an augmentation standpoint, can allow us to get to the end goal a lot faster, like some of the examples that we talked about. There is one area, though, that the machine cannot produce, and it's collaboration. Um, and collaboration primarily um, occurs humans to humans, right? So the first one, automation, was machines to machines. The second one, augmentation, is humans plus machines. The third example here is human to human. I mean, this is going to be really hard to replace because what drives effective cl um, collaboration is primarily related to uh, intuition, uh, primarily related to uh, chemistry and ability to have judgments and, and ethical guides and so forth. That is really hard, one, I think, to hard code, and second, really hard for a machine to, to be affected and, and learning constantly on. That third barrier, I think, is, is going to be particularly a hard one to, um, to pass, and it, frankly, I, I don't think it's an advisable one to try and replace. That makes sense. So what, what's ahead for uh, Oracle or for the, you know, the AI-assisted industry itself? What do you see in the next few years being possible? Uh, you know, what we see is that AI is, is going to permeate through uh, every piece of software uh, that is used today. I start, you know, with the database and self-maintaining itself, you know, patching, making, uh, you know, being available so the data is not just secured, but it's also available, can be processed at scale and at very large speed. That's really important. Second is on the analytics layer on making sure that we can provide better analysis faster to business users. And then in the application world itself, you know, how can we automate some of the processes that today do not bring a lot of value? How can we predict when defect is going to occur and then put decisions towards a path of, of success because we know the information and then increase the availability and, and the value that we get out of our applications. I mean, a, an easy example that, you know, we're having right now, you know, we're going to have a transcript of this conversation, I'm sure, but what if the entire transcript of this information could be available inside an application, be matched to a record and help me create the next conversation? I think that's where we're going. The Data is there, uh, and the applications are there. What's missing is the integration. Um, and so uh, if you have a CIO or chief data officer listening to this, I would look at how can you best partner with vendors that provide you with this level of integration. Because like I said, ultimately, you're not buying AI. You're buying the result of AI. And the result of AI is integration in what you're already doing. We don't want to turn your business users into AI specialists. You know, if we did that, it would mean that we would have learned nothing from the prior waves of data and analytics, <laughs> and we would create more bottlenecks and more frustration. That makes sense, right? I mean, the whole goal is to help an organization seamlessly be more efficient, be more informed, et cetera, succeed. You know, that's that's really the irony. You know, uh, I you know I've been in this space for a long time, and I laugh when when we look through product strategy and I look at the personas sometimes that we build products for. And there's always this uh, imaginary persona of the business analyst where there are thousands of them inside the organization. I, I don't think that's true. I think there's millions of information workers that need better insights faster, uh, and we need to build for them. Um, we, of course, need to build for the specialists, but we can't forget that today the data and analytics and AI capabilities are only available to 35% of your employees there's a silent majority here of 65% that are still chasing the insights and they're making decisions 
uh, like it is a prehistory. <laughs> uh, so, so we got to go out and fix that. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of it is the consequence of where you know this industry has been. Some of it is unfair because maturity of technology wasn't available. But we call this the Las Vegas effect. You know what? Happens in your BI tool stays in your BI tool. That's not right. That's not how we can make better decisions. And so integration is, I think, is the is the answer. I want to give you an example. Um, my mom worked for like Chase Bank, you know, for uh, I don't know, a number of years. And you know, she said new people would come in and they hired like young people, and you know, they would have them in sales and marketing and all that stuff. And I said, well, you know, Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase has been around for a hundred plus years. You would think they would have, if they were smart, they would have saved like all their advertising, all their marketing that they did, all their customer intelligence and have it at the ready for new trainees. And she was like, no, not even close. But things like that, institutional memory and learnings, um, they're probably lost without someone like aggregating them. You know, like certain companies will have maybe a museum of what they've done before, but all that history, all that knowledge would just pave the way for future work with them. Absolutely. No, I mean, you know, in every industry is, is, is like this. I actually bank with Chase, so, you know, I'll give you a call after this to see if I could get a better rate. But, um, um, you know, I think it's true of every industry. And I think, you know, some of it is, is the consequence of it used to be very expensive to store data. You know, now it's very cheap. And so the mentality has to change from, hey, what are the questions we're going to ask? And let's make sure that we're just storing the data that's going to enable us to ask those questions to a, we don't know what we're going to ask, so let's just store all the data and see what happens. Um, we're yeah. now in a position to be able to do that, but, you know, 10 years ago, that wasn't the case at all. And so, yeah. you know, it's going, to ta- it's going to take a cycle. But the, the approach absolutely today can be, you know, 90% of the questions that are going to differentiate you, you probably don't know what they are. So just assume and store all of it, uh, use augmentation capabilities and AI to maybe ask those questions. Because the cost of a question once you have a model like that is nothing. So why not ask it, right? I think it's probably uh, the best way to get, I could summarize it. Think about at your company today, if you're listening to your, your show, what is the cost of one, asking a question? What is the cost of making the wrong decision? And what is the cost of not asking the question? I had a customer do this recently and it told me the cost of not asking a question was about $50,000. So uh, it's a manufacturing company. And so can you imagine what are all the questions you're not asking today that you could be asking if you had the data and if you had the technology to enable you to answer them? Yeah, that's, that's true. the innovation gap. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I could certainly see that people would assume, well, why ask it because we can't find out or it's very hard to find out. Oh, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard yeah. to get to it. So think about that, right? That's the innovation gap inside your enterprise. You've got the perfect people. They have ideas, and they want to ask all these questions, but they can't get the information. They can't get the technology to it. So that's really a shame. And so once we yeah. fix that, uh, and we'll never be fixed, right, because the more we learn, the more we ask questions, that's, the, uh, that's what's interesting about this industry is every question leads to another sixth question. But once we can create that process to be fluid, augmented by the machine so it's faster, uh, we'll get some really interesting results. I mean, we'll solve diseases. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work on really big problems rather than just trying to understand what my inventory was yesterday. Um, maybe we'll be able to answer, well, what should be the inventory in the first place? Yeah, well, that's very cool. 
Well, this is really good stuff to think about. I, uh, you know, you're well spoken about this, and uh, it makes total sense. So, any um, any closing remarks? And I'm going to ask where people can find you, but it's, you know, it's oracle.com and perhaps <laughs> some more specific info. But I don't well, know any uh, any final yeah, thoughts? No, no, certainly. Well, first of all. First of all, thank you so much for, for the interview today, and thanks for listening if you are still here after all this babbling I've been doing. Um, but there are many ways you can get in touch with us. Obviously, uh, oracle.com is the place you should go to. We also are very uh, customer-centric and focus on the stories of customers. We want to make sure that everyone listening to your show today can also listen to our customers. So we've created this program called Destination Insight. Every week, I interview a new customer that tells you about their journey. And so I would say if there's one thing, um, you know, um, just go and check that out and, and connect with those people. You know, the, you're, you're going to learn a lot from them. And the best way to learn is to learn from other people's mistakes. Don't make the same mistake twice. Okay. Well, you just slipped something in at the very end I want to ask you. <laughs> okay. um, you said you interview a customer every week and you, what do you, you ask them about their journey and what, how they, how they ended up working with you guys or what are you asking? Yeah. That's correct. So that must so be interesting. What, what what jumps out at you from doing that? I mean, you must have had all kinds of unusual insights. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, Cecil, the company I was uh, talking about, is the, is the company we featured last week. The week before, we had Coca Cola. So you know, here's an easy example of where you can predict where your customers are going to be. So Coca Cola has got a set of customers. They all share the same attributes uh, or similar attributes. He used uh, our technology to create clusters. Based on those clusters, offer them specific options, and based on those options, figure out the uh, the conversion so he could direct his sales efforts uh, towards the right types of customers, the right regions, the right products, et cetera, et cetera. So you find out, you know, all these stories from from customers, large companies that you think you know have it all figured out, where they now coming up with new innovative ways of of uh, of driving revenue and, and getting innovation out to the to the marketplace it, it's really interesting and it's and it's also worldwide customers as well i mean we have um you know customers from every geography we have uh this was coca-cola i think this one is in italy i i was talking to another customer in a large bank in in the uk that had a thousand uh, users on premise and moved to tens of thousands of users in, in our cloud and, and managed to save money. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, tips and tricks. There's Daimler Benz who is explaining how they're able to challenge the AI. So, you know, here we are talking about, oh, my gosh, the machines are going to take over. Well, Daimler has actually gone the other way where they are running algorithms and they're using humans to challenge the machine. So you'll find interesting stories. Those videos are quick, right? So they're not meant to be exhaustive. But what I'm trying to create is, a, is for, you, for the people listening here, don't just come to me. Go to the folks that have succeeded, reach out to them, and then try and learn from them as well. That's, that's the best way to do it. Okay, that's great, Bruno. Yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was great talking to you. I learned a lot of cool stuff, and uh, you know, I appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for the interview today, and, and I'm sure we'll be in touch. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. 
My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.